episode was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for joining me, Eve, your host, for another episode of Poopology. Today, I have my co-host, Chris. Hi, everyone. And my co-host, Lisa. Hello. And our guest returning from season two and one, I think, think uh, Zora. Hi. Who's now essentially a regular. (laughs) I just won't leave, that's a problem. (laughs) Cross to the dark side. So we're going to kick this week off as usual with our poopy moments. So who wants to go first? Chris? Sure. You seemed very sure earlier when I asked that you had one, so let's start with you. Okay, so last week I was uh, on my way to meet some friends and... uh, Per usual, when I'm out, I have my four-inch heels on and going down the escalator and then right before I finally, you know, got to exit, my heel got like completely stuck oh, in one of the <laughs> grid things, right? One of the little yeah. grid things and legit my foot fell out of the shoe. Oh my god. <laughs> <gasps> So thankfully, no body parts or anything were injured, but um, it was needless to say a very embarrassing moment, and I was able to get the shoe out of it in one piece and um, not have to walk around London like half barefoot. (laughs) Well, I mean, I used to wear stilettos quite a lot, and I always had that problem with escalators, and I always used to think, why are they designed like that? Yeah, what is the purpose of these grids that your heels just get stuck on? I just think you're not supposed to wear heels on the tube. (laughs) Seriously. Everyone I see on the tube with high heels, I'm like, have you lost your mind? I used to do that all the time. Daredevils. But I can't. I used to go to work like that all the time. Yeah. I I have a friend who got her heels stuck in the lift (gasps) going down. Oh, my God. And all everyone did was scream at her for holding them (laughs) on. Oh, my God. Welcome to London. Wow. Yeah, that was a little bit worse than me. That gave gave me the fear. I was like, I am never going to be that person. Yeah. Because she said it was not only the most embarrassing moment of her life. Yeah. um, Yeah. But people were mean. Yeah. They were really mean to her. You were inconveniencing them, clearly. Yeah, but your foot's stuck. I mean, that's hardly, like, out of choice. I just decided to be stuck here in the lift. I just don't like to carry extra shoes around. It's extra luggage. So, I don't know. Next thing, I think I need to, like, walk on my toes or something. Yeah, yeah, Or be extra cautious that, like, I'm not going to fall into some, like, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's irrational, but I feel like those grooves are there to collect rubbish and, I don't know, gum and stuff so that it doesn't get stuck. I don't know if that's irrational. Really? But everywhere know. else, the ground is flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay for everywhere else to be dirty. It's just the escalators we like clean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just think they should just remove them for the purposes of people with high heels. Yeah. I might start a petition. <laughs> I'll sign you. it, be the first one to sign it, trust me. <laughs> so, Zara, what's your poopy moment? Well, I had one already, but I think I'm going to change it in light of the story we just heard oh. and in light of the episode we're doing today because um, the poopy moment I just remembered is uh, when I was on the tube once. And I have um, generalized anxiety disorder. And um, this was maybe a year ago. My anxiety was not doing very well. And there was a point at which I thought I was going to faint on the tube. And it was a rush hour, packed tube. It was not pleasant. I thought I was going to faint on the tube. And so I said to the woman next to me, I think I'm going to faint. I didn't know who she was. And she kind of said, oh, okay, well, let's get you to sit down. So somebody got up and I sat down. And when we got to the stop, 
I was kind of, I could half see and people helped me get up and then get off the train. And I sat down on the platform and I opened my eyes. So I'm just sat leaning against the, the, the wall. I opened my eyes and I saw this tube carriage of, I don't know, I could probably see maybe 30, 40 people standing right in front of me, just staring at me while the doors closed. And I thought, I'm half dead here on the floor. Yeah. Nobody gives a crap. And yeah. that was such a poopy moment. Wow. And people were so mean. But the reason I tell the story is because there's also a little bit of hope in it. Because then what happened was one guy from down the carriage got off the train, came over and said, are you all right? And I was kind of like, and so he went off and got somebody uh, from the station and I guess the moral of the story is that people can be really, really mean, but it just takes one person to make that difference, to make mm-hmm. it okay. Very That's true. true. You know, you say it was a poopy moment, but when I think about it, like what I hate the most is sometimes I see people, something's happened to them on the train and they're on the platform and there's like a TFL person with them. And then there's just this crowd, you know, around them. And I always think, I mean, if that happened to me, I passed out or something happened to me, I would not want this crowd of, like, you know, people watching. And why are they there? Like, what are they watching? It's like someone has obviously just fallen ill and someone is taking care of them. Like, should you not just move on? You know, it's like when car crashes happen on motorways Uh. and everyone slows down to have a look. I just kind of like, why are you doing that? No, why? Call an ambulance by all means, you know, or if you feel like you have a skill set that's useful, then stop the damn car, get out and help. But I just don't understand the whole, like, slowing down or crowding around and just staring. Just think, why? Like, imagine you're the sick person and you're looking around and there's, like, 20 people all staring at you. I think human instinct, like, they don't, we don't want to be the first to do something. And so I like crowd mentality. They'll all hover around over something and it takes that like one like brave person to actually be like, holy crap, that person mm. needs help or I'm going to go out and do something. Like, yeah, you know, that's kind of my like, guess. Yeah, is that, like, maybe. People are afraid to take action. Maybe. I mean, me, if I'd seen you there on your own, I would have just come up to you and yeah. said, are you okay? Can I help you? Or is anyone like taking care of you? And if I saw you there with some people, i.e., you know, I don't know, an ambulance person or a TFL person, then I wouldn't even stop. Just on the basis that I wouldn't, like, I'd think, why am I useful here? I'm not. So why am I going to stop and stare at this poor person having a moment? You know, what was, what would be the use in that? So Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I don't, I find that really annoying, to be honest. I think people are afraid to be the first one to come over, though. They don't know yeah. what to do, that instinct. I mean, I would definitely just walk over. But yeah. I think we've established I'm Irish, so I have no... <laughs> so no, you're nice. I have no qualms in going to help somebody. I think, that I think the, the first instinct is to help, but what people do is they psych themselves out. Like, what am I going to say? Is this person going to think I'm crazy? Should I approach yeah. them? Should I not? Do they want me to approach them? Do they not want me to? Yeah. You know, and then they start to kind of... And then the moment passes because you've walked past and then you're not going to walk back, you know. I think that's kind of what happens. I think it's very yeah. London, though. Yeah. I do think it's London. That's not that there's not lovely people in yeah. London. I yeah. think it's just, it, it's not as friendly a city. People and people aren't, aren't as, as inclined yeah. to, like, speak to strangers or walk to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was home in Dublin last week and I actually couldn't get over um, kindred spirits talking to me like strangers yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so good to be home yeah. and not feel yeah. like that weird person. Yeah. But 
It's similar yeah. to New York, and again, like very pop- highly populated, you know, cosmopolitan city where people are always on the go, and they are, you know, very limited in time. So if they stop, it's either they're too afraid to take action. Or shit, I got somewhere else to go. Somebody yeah. else will probably take care of her or help her out. I think. Yeah, maybe. Kind of mixes up with the attitude. Yeah. Maybe it's just me, because my first in- instinct would just be a very human instinct, and I don't even think about what is this person going to think, because I just think I'll just offer. And if you told me to piss off, <laughs> then I would just walk away, right? So, I've done what I need to do. If I'm not wanted, then. Fair enough. Yeah, and if you don't know what to do, you get someone who knows. So you might get someone from a station or whoever nearby knows what to do. Yeah, of course. But then just leave. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lisa, what's your poopy moment? So, I mean, I've I've shared a few. (laughs) (laughs) For the audience. (laughs) For the audience. uh, For this episode. So, Saturday night was my first night out in a while. So, I made an effort, got all dressed up. Uh, went to a club, which is a really rare um, thing for me to do recently. Obviously, the older you get as well, the less kind of clubbing. It's more day drinks. Yeah. Uh, unless you go with Eve and it could be a 12-hour <laughs> stint. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist I'm still you. jealous of that lunch. <laughs> if she tells anyone that she doesn't really drink alcohol, it is a lie. <laughs> I was lulled. I was lulled into false well, security you know, It was just day. a bizarre day because I really don't drink that much alcohol. And even Usma was like, how the hell did you do that? Yeah. You don't normally drink that much. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I've ever seen you drink. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I was mm. obviously in a good mood. Well, now I've just told everybody. So everybody is <laughs> So went out with my girlfriends. We were having so much fun. Went into a club. There was a DJ, DJ's playing that I absolutely adore. And one of our friends um, had a table. So everything was like going incredibly well. Um, and then we were invited up to like the VIP floor. So I was like all excited, trying to be really cool, especially as we were walking up the stairs. I could see that uh, the DJ was coming down the stairs. And I was like, ooh, do you know, very cool. I was looking lovely, even if I say so myself. <laughs> um, yeah, tripped on my jumpsuit and fell flat face no. first up the stairs oh in front of the DJ. <laughs> what, did you fall onto his feet? Like, yeah. was it like one of those moments? Oh, that would have like, been a movie yeah. romantic moment. Pretty much landed, managed to catch my face, thank God, but fell the most awkward way. <laughs> but ended up like, did you fall on your hands? And then I was just like literally looking up at this like DJ God going, oh, well, I can't say anything. <laughs> So I just stood up and someone I could just I don't even know if it was him or who said, like, are you okay? I just styled it. Nothing was wrong. I just walked. <laughs> really? Silent. You I had just nothing. stood right back up and I just stood right back up, didn't even like falter and just walked up the stairs like it never happened. Because at that moment I was like, that is all I can do. <laughs> just pretend and move on. But I literally got to the top of the stairs and my friend just went. I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right. She's like, perfect timing. I like, um, I've had a few over the years, but that is definitely one of the um, most embarrassing falls. It's like a thing though, isn't it? Just when you're ha- having a moment like that, something stupid happens. Like I'm one of those people. Like, normally not klutzy at all, but as soon as I have like that kind of an opportunity or a moment and I'm trying to be all cool, 
it all goes wrong. <laughs> it all just goes terribly wrong. So I'm going to follow on, actually, because I have a similar but not so similar story, but of the same gist. So um, a couple of episodes back, I was actually talking about um, this holiday I had in, in uh, Morocco, in Marrakesh, with the funky bus. So same holiday, after we actually arrived in Marrakesh, we're staying in this lovely Riyadh, you know, really beautiful boutique hotel thing and um, they have like one of these dip pools in the middle of this courtyard like really beautiful and it's open till sort of quite late at night so in the evenings all these people are kind of like dotted around with little can you know they've got it really pretty with candles and stuff and some people are like serenely swimming in and up in this dip pool thing contraption so um and as we were checking in I saw this guy kind of thought, hmm, the guy is quite cute. He was sort of sitting in the courtyard reading his book and I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's here alone. Uh, later in the afternoon, like, we went out, did some sightseeing, came back and, you know, there he is again having his mint tea. And I said to my friend, oh, I'm just going to have a mint tea <laughs> in the courtyard. I'll see you later. So I sat there for a little while. I was just waiting to see if anyone's going to, like, come and sit with this person to see if he's on his own or not. And no one came, so I thought, oh my God, this might be my lucky day. You know, I think this guy is single and he's so cute. And how do I talk to him? What do I say? At one point, it's just the two of us alone in this courtyard and it's not very big. I think there's like 12 rooms in the entire Riyadh. So, you know, it's a small space. So I had the opportunity to kind of like say something, but I just couldn't quite pluck up the courage. And then I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and put my swimming costume on and, like, get in and have a little dip in this pool. So I went and put my sexiest bikini on and uh, got into this pool. You know, like in like in the movies, like step by step, <laughs> down, down the steps, you know, one step, two steps. And, and then I, like, dipped my hair in, came out like a little mermaid, you know, hair all slicked back. I was thinking, God, I look hot. This guy's going to, like, really talk to me by the end of this. I'm sitting on the side, like, on the side with my hands up on the side of the pool thing, you know. And suddenly I feel like a little twitching my nostril you know I'm like oh I think I'm gonna sneeze so I thought I'll just I'll just sneeze not realizing that I wasn't standing far enough away from the side of the, oh the pool and because it's one of those dip pools it's like really high like up here and as I sneezed with full-blown <laughs> force I hit my forehead oh, <laughs> slap, bang on the side of this pool and you could hear it like you heard it. You know, it was like, dung. You know, you just could hear this, like, full-blown headbutt the side of this pool. And I'm right in front of this guy, like, who's basically sitting there looking at me because the whole time I'm, like, looking at him, flicking my hair around and whatever. And, he's, and it's just us two again. And he's looking at me. I'm looking at him. I'm like, hey, I sneeze, hit my head on the side. And then similar to you, I'm like... That really hurts. Do I do I like say ouch or do I, do I pretend I feel a headache coming on? <laughs> Basically, I must have looked like a complete idiot. He must have just been thinking, what is happening? What is happening? Did he say you okay? Yeah. No, he was just. <laughs> and I think he was 
was trying not to laugh. You know, at one point, I think his face looked like it was going to laugh. And then he thought, I better not because we've got full on eye contact. <laughs> I, I just kind of turned around i really didn't know what to do rushed out of the pool put my towel on went to my room and obviously banging take. and i was like checking out my because it felt like i'd literally cracked my forehead <laughs> checking out my forehead can't see anything whatever go to bed totally embarrassed next morning wake up and i have a black line oh, across oh. my forehead oh literally a bruise like across my entire forehead and of course i have to go downstairs for breakfast and of course he's sitting there and of course no amount of makeup is gonna cover this <laughs> and even if other people are like oh that girl what did she do to her head he's thinking that was that girl from last night <laughs> looked cute until she had my in the swimming pool <laughs> Concussion, you were still like, no. Well, you heal beautifully. Your forehead does not look scarred at all. Oh, my God. So it was pretty hideous, really. I wonder if there's this parallel stories with both of the last two stories, actually, where there's, you know, some guy saying, well, actually, I was walking down the stairs <laughs> and this woman just <laughs> fell to my feet, got up and just continued walking. Well, there was this woman who was doing these amazing things in the pool. <laughs> and she headbutted the pool and then just left. I think there definitely is a parallel story and I think it's, you know, I'm sure it's hilarious. I'm absolutely sure it's hilarious. I'm disappointed that he didn't try and check that your head was all right. I think he was yeah. just shocked. I know. And, I at, and shocked. at the same time, like, wanted to laugh and at the same time was just like, I don't, I can't compute this situation, you know. I'm not quite sure what is going on here. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a really, really embarrassing moment. That's all I can say. It was a proper, <laughs> proper embarrassing. So, yeah. I mean, needless to say, I learned a very good lesson, though. Now, when I need to sneeze in the pool, I always take a step. A step. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Like, I make sure I'm in the middle of the pool, like there's nothing around me. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I'm in the pool. Submerge underneath the pool. You've taught us all a lesson. We'll all be taking a step back yeah. from, the sea, from now <laughs> Swiftly, moving on. Moving on. Love that. So today, I don't know if we're going to be talking about positive or negative, really. But um, this subject matter was actually Zora's idea because she was like, you know, we were having a little conversation a couple of weeks ago. Well, she was asking me, do you think there's anything left for us to look forward to? And then she said she's got a lot of hope. And I was thinking, God, that's really optimistic, you know, because I'm not sure I do. And in recent years, obviously, we've had a lot of stuff happen, especially here in the UK. If I think back as far as sort of 10 uh, maybe 15 years you know I remember the recession all that crazy stuff and then after that we ended up with some wars and then after that you know we've ended up with Brexit scenario the last four years and during all of that we've had you know lots of different financial and other crises. And then I thought to get ready for this episode I'll do a little bit of research and see if anyone else has anything to say about the current situation how we've got here and what they are projecting the future to be so i was surprised because i didn't think i would come up with much but i read an article in the economist it's called miserable millennials 
So apparently um, Deloitte have done a survey and they surveyed a bunch of people from 42 different countries to see how they feel, you know, about the world currently. And it seems that they've come up with the idea that the millennials are feeling particularly gloomy at the moment. And their number one uh, sort of subject matter to be depressed about is uh, climate change and then uh, income inequality was their second sort of worst uh, choice of what, what they're feeling miserable about. And then I looked up some other articles and I read something in The Guardian. It was titled, They Will Never uh, Have It So Good Again. And this was also looking at young people and, you know, what they have to look forward to and how things have changed. So talking about how young people now are leaving university with more debt than ever before. They're not able to buy houses uh, like they used to before. You know, the requirement on deposits is higher than it was. The cost of the property is higher than it was. And that the salaries have kind of almost stagnated in the last sort of nine years. Not many people have had pay rises and stuff like that. You know, this article was also giving quite a gloomy, you know, image, especially for younger people. I mean, when I say younger people, even our generation was included in that. So the article talks about how even a lot of 40 year olds can't afford to purchase their own home. Whereas previous generations, what they felt like was that they had it better than their parents and they had it better than their grandparents. And, you know, because they had obviously some of some people's grandparents were probably around during the war. So they had a lot of problems, obviously, Mm -hmm. during that, as well as shortly after that. And then their parents are probably baby boomers. So things were a bit better for them. And you know, things were yet a bit better for their children. But now we're getting to the stage where for our parents' children, i.e. us, <laughs> and potentially our children, it's a little bit more difficult and a bit more bleak than how they had it. So firstly, I'm going to ask you, um, what do you guys feel about this? First, do you think that these articles and the way that they've you know, touched on these things is very real? Do you think that it's not so real? What are your thoughts about it? I personally think it's just an evolution. I think there's pros and cons, but I don't think you can say it's completely bleak in the future. It really depends on how you're going to look at things. Because if you look at like the amazing things that have been done from a science perspective or like the cures that have come out that didn't exist when our parents were younger or our grandparents were younger, that's incredible. Mm. That's something that we won't have to suffer. I mean, they've, they're coming up with cures for like diabetes. They've done a massive amount of research on Alzheimer's, mm. like that they're one step. They, it's not that they can cure it, but they can identify it quicker, which mm. means they can help quicker. And I just think you really have to stand back and like, yes, it's harder to buy a house and things are more expensive, but there's also incredible things going on at the same time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think if we all fixate on the negatives, mm. we just never get out of bed. Mm-hmm. If we're yeah. being really honest, yeah. if you're going to fixate on a couple of things, you really just have to reframe things. And the one thing we do have at the moment that I think is education. Mm. The education system is amazing. Young people of today are like, there's way more people being educated. There's way more women being educated across the globe. There's so much opportunity out there. So it's really just embracing it. Um, and I think just the way you look at things and being grateful. I know mm. that's something I think nearly everyone mm-hmm. around this table is. Mm. We're all about gratitude and like putting things out to the universe. Yeah. I just think it's it's how you really look at things mm. and change. Like mm. it's an evolution in the world. Mm-hmm. just evolve with the world it's just changing how we react to things definitely would agree i mean the reality is climate change is happening mm-hmm. um you know unless you're donald trump and such 
um, may not believe in believe in it. Um, it's not happening for him. But yeah, and totally true that, and we discussed this, I think, in an earlier mm-hmm. uh, episode with your mother about how, um, yes, education is so much greater now, but the truth of the matter is the younger generation are coming out with more and more debt. But anytime that I personally read, and I actually, you know, believe it or not, choose not to read like um, typical local news or watch the local news because news organizations can be very much one-sided and have a certain agenda and propaganda. Um, And so while it's realistic, I think there's so much to your point, a lot of great that's happened. The younger generation definitely, I think, have a lot more negatives against them, but they're also some of the most, like I think, brightest cohorts of all time. They are the most socially responsible and driven population that have actually created some of the most innovative companies, I think, including in social enterprise and have that passion. And I think that like that empowers them. And I see that generation actually being excited, even though there are some negatives to look forward to, but everything in life is cyclical. And I think um, there's definitely a lot of amazing things that's happened. Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about, which I guess it's it's the whole classic, do you see the cup as half full or half empty, right? Because, I mean, it's interesting, as you're talking about all these positive things, I feel like I can see the negative things about those positive things. So, yes, for example, we've had massive scientific advancement. Why is measles back? It's really, really annoying that something like measles is back, and it's because of what's happening with public opinion. Or, for example, when you look at the cyclical nature of things, it's really interesting, too, because... Um, I know um, Eve referred to the war a little bit earlier, and it's interesting that we think that's the war, because currently, and when you look at what's happening in China, I know with things like the Holocaust, for example, we all get taught it in history at school, and you think, never again, that's the kind of thing, that's the lesson, that's the tagline, that's the thing we all know, never again. But actually, it is happening, it's happening again now in China, it's happening now in lots of different, and it feels sometimes like, actually, why are we having the same problems? Like, are we, uh, humanity as a whole, are we like, just a little bit stupid? Do we not learn from our mistakes? Do we not go back and think, well, less we actually should say never again to some things, but no, it's still happening. But I think you're also right that, in, in essence, the kids are all right. I feel like they might actually save us from the craziness that we've yeah. Yeah. that we've kind of created um, with things like climate change and inequality because they've kind of wisened up to the idea that that's a really important thing to look mm-hmm. at. So it, I think it is a matter of looking at it in a hopeful way as opposed to a negative way. It's mm. just about what you focus on, I guess. Yeah. And, and really, I think the, as I was thinking about, you know, wh- where do we find hope? This whole, like, you know, it's winter mm. and it's dark and there are all sorts of things going on in politics and, you know, like the generations and all sorts of things. But I think actually hope comes from a, a bit of an inner thing. It's about mm-hmm. how you oh. look at things. It's about your yeah. resilience. Um, it's about how you spend your time. It's interesting that you don't spend time reading local news because you know it's not good I for your brain. No. Yeah. And that's it's, really good. It's all about car accidents and yeah. small little burglaries. Like, yeah. quite honestly, like, I'm, I'm really sorry that happened. Yeah. Yeah. But if that's what you're exposing yourself to, mm. our body and our minds, like, are very reactionary. Mm. We're going to react to that and energetically we're going to think, oh my God, we're so doomed. Yeah. But if I allow myself to like, you know, do positive things, read things and be around people, no matter what's going to happen, I don't care what, what you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to feel like actually life is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess if we've got that kind of stillness inside you, that, that resilience that means that whatever's happening in the world, good or bad, mm. actually you'll be okay. 
It's a, it's a real big... Yeah, I mean, I think personally it's interesting because I am, you know, a huge advocate of thinking positively and I keep a thankfulness diary every day, which I've talked about before, and I'm very thankful um, within myself. But I also externally, um, you know, I can't watch the news as much as I used to. I stay away from political pro- uh, programmes, which I used to watch because I was in politics, so I'm heavily interested. But... I just can't do it because I find it frustrating. It gives me a, a bit of anxiety. Yeah. And so even though internally, mm-hmm. you know, I feel at peace because there's so much external factors. And then when you start going through them, climate change, this, that, mm-hmm. you start to think, oh my God, like there's literally nothing positive going on in the world. Actually, politics is the stem of most of these problems. And it's really, really strange because we're going through a stage where we've got unusual people in charge of some of the biggest powers in the world. You know, you look at the US, you look at England, you look at, you know, uh, China, (laughs) you look at Russia. I was recently watching uh, a program on Putin, which was, you know, quite frightening, to be Mm. honest. And then you've got the whole stuff going on in Korea constantly and Donald Trump and Korea is Mm. quite interesting as well as a weird combo so there's but when I look at it all of these problems you know the climate change issue some of it is not being addressed by essentially you know yeah power powers because we don't yes we can stop using plastic bottles we can stop doing certain things but there's a limit to what we can stop doing you know there are companies that are producing certain things that they shouldn't be producing or Mm -hmm. you know they need to do the research in finding alternative materials or alternative fuels or you know alternative means of doing stuff they've got the money to be able to do that i can only stop buying a plastic water bottle how far is that going to get us you know until someone actually finds a cheaper easier material to put water in it won't matter whether i stop buying water bottles or not right or it will only matter so much it won't Mm. make the kind of impact that you know we really need to Mm. make so all these people in power and and the people who are basically running things are just kind of running them wrong and then we look at all the wars you know i referred to it as the war because essentially i was thinking back at the iraq war which is how we started the current you know scenario of many wars (laughs) since then um but again you know this is our government we touched on this on another episode is spending billions and billions of pounds on war when we're not spending the same on our NHS or on anything positive, really, or on finding research for, for you know, plastic, finding alternatives to, to plastic or alternative fuel sources or anything that's good for the environment. So why is it that there's like 10 people in the world that have all decided that they're going to be some sort of evil masterminds? and spend all their time and energy governing, you know, 10 of the superpowers of the world into just a pile of crap, if I can be quite frank. (laughs) Yeah. And none of them are focused on anything positive, anything good, anything that actually saves our future in many ways, you know, whether economically or environmentally or in any, any way. Why is none of this money, none of this time, none of this energy, you know, in a big way being focused on that? Why does it take a bunch of little people, you know, like us, like you, like these little charities, little people trying to do their own thing, make a noise, but ultimately, no matter how much noise you make, there's someone who makes a decision mm. somewhere else that's much more powerful than you. 
that actually has the power to make that change. Why is that? Why do you think that is? They're driven by profits. I mean, at the end of the day, it's biggest, like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's similar, correct me if I'm wrong, here in the UK, but I'll speak to, like, in the US. You know, one of the biggest lobbyists are pharmaceutical companies. They are actually not in the business to make people healthier. They're actually in the business to make you addicted to pills. And Americans, I believe, are the most pill-popping addicted society in the entire world. It's actually sickening. And so the point is, these things are not happening with people in power making decisions that actually benefit us because these massive companies who have money are lobbying, you know, to get their decisions. And unless that mentality shifts and there's actually someone in power who generally cares for the real people and their health and everything as opposed to just putting more profits into big companies, Mm -hmm. that's when I think the powerful shift is going to change. So, I mean, have we all become, uh, you know, because the whole point of politics is about democracy and it's about representing the people and you you picking a representative of the people that's that was the concept anyway of democracy um so have we all become like nations of dictatorship essentially because uh you know people's campaigns are being funded by you know organizations that are self-benefiting that person's self-benefiting so what's the benefit for me as just a person who lives here. I think that if you look at what's happened at the moment, there seemed to have been a lot of scaremongering that went on to get the people into power that are currently in power. Mm. And I think they nearly preyed on the vulnerability Mm -hmm. and the fact that it just was like uneducated. And I don't mean that about the people. It's just like there wasn't enough information given for any of those Mm. um, people to be voted in. It wasn't an even, I don't feel like it was even that the right information was shared with everyone to make an educated decision. Mm. And I think that's how we have ended up in this situation, which Mm. the majority of people really don't know how we got here. They really don't know Mm. how we got here. This was not supposed to happen, Mm. but it has. And I think what it is, is those people have their own agendas, the people who are in power at the moment. Um, And even speaking to my friends in, in the US, it's all about like having the economy stable and like environment is still not up there it's something that a huge amount of us are talking about but really when it comes down to it a lot of times it's down to power and money Mm. and there's Mm. nothing we can do about that yeah that's where I think people are feeling a little bit kind of demoralized about Mm. the decision because we're not even having the option to vote for people that we think can make a difference they're not actually being presented to us Mm. as an option I guess the question really comes down to if we put those things into the category of bad things Mm -hmm. it's about can good win and can we have hope that at some point good can win? And, and there, there may be a candidate mm-hmm. who talks about And I guess the thing to look for then is the small things on the way to that win happening. So I know, for example, um, Bernie Sanders is pretty big on climate change stuff. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gives me hope about him, it's not about whether he wins or not. And I don't know enough about American politics to know whether that's a thing. What I do know is that his campaign was funded by so many tiny weeny donations. It's people giving their sort of five bucks or ten mm-hmm. bucks and that mm-hmm. sort of thing which actually has given him enough of a platform, if I'm right, to, to be able to be on the stage with the, the yeah. big boys who are funded by yeah. pharma and oil yeah. and gas and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So I feel like just finding those little bits of hope, 100%. like that, like Greta with climate change. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's this kid 
who is this symbol of so much hope. It's really mm-hmm. kind of amazing. And and she is just a tiny little, what is she, 13 years old or something, 16, right? 16, something like that. Incredible. And I guess, yeah, and, and I guess she represents so much and she enables mm-hmm. the good people who are thinking about all these positive things mm-hmm. to have some sort of thing to leverage, to kind of come around and mm-hmm. say, this is a thing we can support. Yeah. And yeah. there is some hope, even though... It might be, who knows, it might be too late, but it also, yeah. it also might not be. And it also, I guess... Never it too us- late. Yeah. It's never too late yeah. to make a change. You actually made a good point because like, you know how Eve earlier you were saying how if I do something, is it going to make an impact? But to your point, like Zara, that like, I think there's something to be said about the compounded effect and a lot of people even voting in democracy. There's a lot of people in the US I know who just simply don't vote because they think my vote won't matter. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you think about it, one little action compounded by everyone else Mm -hmm. is that example of like who supported and funded Bernie Sanders is a huge example of one little effect can make a huge compounded effect. Mm. And I guess as we get closer to the election, even in the UK, I mean, it's it's also a thing about getting people out to vote. And it's almost like just giving people the hope that whatever you're voting for, but just feeling like you have the ability to make a difference Mm -hmm. is really, really important. Mm. But then your choices now aren't, you know, at the moment, I feel like in this country for our elections, you know, it's kind of like the best of a bad bunch. That's kind (laughs) of how it feels like. And I think lots of people feel like that. And that's why some people are more prone to perhaps voting for the worst of the bad bunch accidentally because they don't you know they're all pretty much the same if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you know before we had clear oppositions i feel like you know there was clear oppositions this stands for and this is what this stands for so it was easier for people to pick a yeah pick a pick a side as, Mm. as such now we don't have this so it's all over the place which is why i guess no one knows what's going to happen in the next elections Mm. everyone's confused I think people are afraid to actually give their point across now. It's like nobody has their own set opinion in politics anymore. Mm. Everyone, Nobody wants to stand out and say something that's a bit out there or rogue. That's how I kind of feel. Mm. Yeah. They're all like playing safe well, because at, they want to get a vote and they want to get back in again. At the moment, I feel like everyone's changing their story as it goes on. So, you know, uh, they've typical. released something, well, this is what I'm going to do, and then, oh, no, he's changed his mind. This is what they're going to do on this issue because suddenly some people have come mm. up and said, oh, this is crap, no one's going to vote for you with this particular thing on your agenda. And suddenly the agenda's changed, like, 24 hours later because obviously they've got, like, two months to run a, a general election, so everything's moving a lot faster than it would in a normal mm. election setting. So, you know, polls happen and then 24 hours later something's changed on the agenda on the political agenda and I'm just kind of like come on it makes me feel even more like I'm being treated like an idiot it's true but I, I wonder whether this could inadvertently turn out to be a good thing for the next generation for the people who are kind of the younger generation that are just starting to vote or who haven't voted yet because I guess they're all looking at what we're doing and mm-hmm. how the hell we got here like you said no one knows, knows. We, we managed to screw up royally yeah. but maybe they're looking around saying well if this idiot can be prime minister so can I yeah. And that's a good thought. Yeah, yeah, of and course. It might actually get people involved and say, well, yeah, sure. I mean, these people don't know what they stand for and neither do they and neither do they. Actually, maybe I know what I stand for. Maybe I can do that. It might, yeah. it might encourage young people to get involved in politics to see what they can actually achieve, which mm-hmm. is probably a positive that. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was reading some stats on uh, millennials 
uh, when we did the Generations episode. And one of the things that had come up with them was that they were the most positive and the, the ones that had more of like the hippie, you know, mm. free love kind of attitude and uh, thought that, you know, social issues were more on their agenda and it was less, they were kind of less driven by... Uh, money and you know these mm-hmm. kinds of concepts yeah. mm-hmm. so you know maybe you're right maybe that is something to be hopeful for maybe and I guess there's a lot of um I mean there are so many issues and a lot of even things like our mental health issues are driven by things like isolation and loneliness and actually this kind of convening around issues might even help with that it might give people some purpose and some something to do yeah even yeah. if that's campaigning, which may not feel like it's a... Uh, I mean, it's politics, which I guess has a really terrible name right now. Yeah. But who knows? It could transform into something actually useful. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to think that I'm a, you know... Or I used to be uh, an idealist, especially about politics, which is why I went into politics, mm. was because I thought, you know, I was fed up of being that person who throws things at the TV, you know, when people mm. are talking. <laughs> so, and I remember one day, I literally, one day I woke up and I was like, that's it. I'm tired of doing this. I'm going to run myself and I'm going to get myself in and then hopefully I'll get, you know, a decent position eventually. It might take me 10 years, but eventually. And then I'm just going to run my agenda, which is none of this shit that these people are talking <laughs> about, right? So I thought, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to stop complaining about it. I'm going to put my foot forward and do exactly what I think is right. But actually, when I got into politics, I found it really difficult, because you can very easily be a minority if you speak your mind. Being too much of an idealist is actually not a good position in politics. Unfortunately, whatever seat you hold, whichever party you hold your seat in, you have to pick and choose your fights. Mm. So you have to decide which item on your agenda is the most important and pressing, and you have to sell some items to buy some other items. Mm It's like an economy. So you have to vote for something in a way that you wouldn't normally vote for to support someone else so that they can support your cause later on on something you feel. And what they do is they call each other up the day before council assembly, the whatever, you get secret messages, they send their PA or someone else comes and says, whispers something to you. There's all these little groups and little cliques. And that's just at grassroots council level. I'm not talking about MPs, you know. And even from MPs, I would get, you know, I would get phone calls from certain people or their people asking me to be a certain place mm-hmm. or asking me who I was going to vote for or which issue was I going to, you know, support. And they would greatly appreciate if I supported this particular mm. issue, which basically means vote for this or I'm not going to help you next time. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, there's a lot of this, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So you actually have to sell out if you want to be mm-hmm. successful. So if you want to be, pri- if I wanted to be prime minister, if I continued to play that game, today you never know I could have been but the problem is that's the game you have to play and after 20 years of I can't imagine myself playing that game for 20 years Mm -hmm. just to be prime minister right that would just kill me Mm -hmm. so after eight years I was kind of like okay I can't do this anymore because I'm actually depressed I'm depressed I'm regularly getting up talking about stuff that I don't believe is right but I have to pick and at grassroots level it's even harder because what you're doing is you're picking Uh, whether you go so I went to my own school because I actually was a counsellor in the area that I went to school so I went to my own school spoke to the pupils and spoke to their parents to vote for me then later my council decided that they were going to close that school down 
And as a counsellor in that area, I had to go to a meeting where all the parents were there and some of the kids were there, obviously really upset that this school was going to close and where were their children going to go and the nearest school is, you know, however many miles away and all these kids are going to have to get 15 buses to get there and, you know, this thing hadn't been thought through enough. But I was told, you know, you've got a bigger issue on your list of agendas, so if you want this support on this issue, you're going to have to go to that school and tell them, sorry, there's nothing we could do. Ouch. And try to sell them a positive, you know, image. Yeah. I was a very successful politician, by the way, which actually disturbed me more because it says something actually about Mm. you in terms of if you were successful at convincing people, Mm. even in shit that you don't believe. I don't know that that's a good trait. Yeah. So it raised questions Mm. to myself about my own personality I wasn't kind of like oh look everybody in the Labour Party loves me and you know I'm only a councillor and I'm hanging out with Tony Blair who was like obviously the biggest person in politics at that time I was more kind of like why how you know Mm -hmm. Uh, clearly but why am I good at like what does this mean (laughs) yeah yeah. like what does this mean about me if I'm good at this and people love me and they're convinced by shit I say even though me I'm not always convinced what the hell does Mm. that say you know what does that mean so I was in some really really compromising positions on a regular basis like this where you're just like having to pick and choose certain sides and certain things and you know people are inviting you to be a part of this group and that group and you know I was invited to be a part of like the black and ethnic minority group who obviously had a certain agenda to go along with that and I was a part of that because I'm a part of that community but then I found that you know the other group were kind of trying to suck me in because they're like, oh, you're not like them. You know, you're a bit different. You have potential, different kind of potential. So then I would get sucked in by this group and then I'd be like, okay, I I don't know what is happening here now. You know, like, which side, like, who who am I supporting? And these people are going, well, we're going to support this, this, this and this. You need to vote with us because you're a part of us. And then these people are going, yeah, but that doesn't make sense, does it? You should vote for this, especially if you want to stay here. Oh, God. You know, especially if you still want to be the, like, the number one person who gets to sit next to Tony Blair at the photo shoots, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, And you know that, I mean, there's nothing special about having done that other than you know, it helps your political career along if you happen mm-hmm. to be in those kinds of settings when you're just a little counsellor, you know, in the world of politics is possibly like the smallest dot. So you have to pick, you know, then I'm kind of like, no, I'm going to be prime minister because I want to change shit. But then I got to do this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know. It was like the most bizarrest, conflicting, confusing, and quite frankly, demoralizing situation. And instead of kind of being the, okay, I'm not going to just talk about stuff, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it happen. I actually just ended up like being in that situation and still not making shit happen. And then thinking to myself, like, should I be happy that out of my 10 things, I got one through? (laughs) I don't know if like this is something I should be proud of or happy about or... Well, I have a whole new level of respect for you for not selling out. Like, you went into politics with a very altruistic, like, you know, mindset and hoping to change. And, like, you clearly could have, like, realizing that, like, you had this, like, persuasive, like, you know, skill set of getting what, like you said, you were a good politician. But the fact that you realize that, like, you know, actually everyone else has their own agenda and it's really not to help the little guys – And so 
the fact that like you were able to step away from that and say like actually like this doesn't even make me feel good mm-hmm. um i think you're gonna you, you already are making b- bigger and better changes mm-hmm. with all your other initiatives and knowing that like it's actually serving the good and as opposed to being like swayed in a mm-hmm. different direction for profits or other people's agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's a great skill set to be persuasive, as you put it, and engaging maybe. But if you are forced to use it for things that you don't believe in, it can be very, very, very horrible place to be in. And I don't know how they do it on a daily basis, to be honest, for 20, 30, 50 year careers. I don't know how. Because no doubt they would have all have had to let go of something. There's no way that there is a single politician who has stayed true to everything that they believed in. At some point, they would have had to have chosen, you know, okay, is this issue the most important thing? And should I just like let go of this one for this guy? because he's going to vote with me on this one. You know, and maybe some people will argue, well, if you can get three to through out of ten, it's better than zero. Yeah. Yeah, but still, that's just, to me, it was just a very difficult... I mean, my mum was very much like, you're good at this, you should stay in this, and she had that thought. She was like, okay, but this is the world of politics. You're going to have to accept it, and if you get three things through then you should just celebrate the three and forget about the seven. I couldn't let go of it. I was just kind of like, I felt like I was selling out, doing, like I said, going to schools and being like, yeah, your school's going to close down. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. And the whole time I'm like... You'd have to have a set personality, I think, to maintain that long term. I'd find that so destroying. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't be able to do it. And I'm also not very good at lying. (laughs) Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, it's about the things that made you step away, knowing that that wasn't healthy for you is really, really important. And that's what, exactly. you know, all those things that they kind of say, you know, mindfulness and meditation and knowing yourself mm-hmm. and taking that time. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the thing that you're trying to do is to kind of connect with yourself and know what's good for you. Mm-hmm. And stepping away takes a lot of courage. It really, really does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.